Yeah, let's talk in the microphone. Yeah, talk in the mic, Father. Oh, should we start? Yeah. We're starting? Yeah, we're, well, we're just... This is a go. Wow. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So you heard about us on the you heard about the video. I did. Did you hear at Mass this morning I told you about the award that it won. Mm-hmm. So the hero priesthood won the top prize, first prize in the Christian division of this short films award thing. It came out of the blue. I just heard about it from uh, But what organization granted the award? Well, I, it's called Best Short Films or something or it's mm-hmm. the Best Shorts competition. Mm-hmm. Go on, it's not they have a website and they give a slew of awards in different categories, and we were number one. And the award is kind of cool. It looks like a little Oscar, mm-hmm. and it's made at the same company where the Oscars are made. So does that mean someone nominated the film? Did think, you nominate no, it? No, I didn't. I didn't know about it until yesterday. It was <laughs> the Rob, Academy did. Rob Kismark, <laughs> I think, sent it in as a, oh, as a yeah. proposal. And then they, you know, they voted on it, and wow. we won. So there's those two it. questions. One, haven't gotten any royalty checks yet. And two, is it like the Stanley Cup where we each get it for like a day in the well, summer to take around why not? We could probably arrange that. It's down at, we're in fire office right now, and Father Steve and Rob were, were <laughs> p- pictured holding it together, you know. But I think we should pass it around to the three of you. I think well, that's a great honor. And I can tell you, the fans of Three Dogs North are going to want to see some pictures. Photo evidence. On the, tw- the Twitter sphere. Well, go on um, mm-hmm. the Facebook page, uh, the Father oh, Robert Barron Facebook page. Mm. Oh, we have a photo up there of it. Father Steve was up here today. I'm sure he could arrange for photos. Or actually, I like the idea of get you the, the award itself <laughs> mm-hmm. and let you have it for a while. You know? That'd be really cool. Now, was it an Oscar for acting in the film or, <laughs> yeah. or just I think the they were film? recognizing, especially Connor. The, <laughs> I thought so. The yeah. crying was really impressive. <laughs> you know. No, no, it's for the quality of the film. Really, it's, it really is for Rob because right. Mark, I would say, is the one that gets the I award. The because of course. It is a beautifully made mm-hmm. film. And it's been seen now like about 50,000 times on YouTube. It's been on EWTN several times. And you can order uh, the DVDs, of course. You can. And it's been given to every um, English-speaking vocation director in the world. Wow. And Bishop. So we sent it around to everybody. I've gotten a lot of really nice comments about it. Even today, I was sitting in the cafeteria, and this woman I work with in uh, one of my field education things here came up to me, and she said, Oh, Connor, I just watched that Heroic Priest video again. Oh, good. And I just, I'm so proud. And, and good. I think that all ages, everybody in the Catholic world is not just for priests or seminarians. It's kind of a, yeah. That's a fervorino for. Well, my favorite story about that, when it first came out, I had it on my iPhone. I was at my sister's house and my nephew was there, 15. He's a big, tall kid, a typical gawky teenager, and he's a basketball player, volleyball player. I said, hey, Drew, take a look at this film, you know? So I thought he'd spent like 35 seconds and then, but he took it and then we went on kind of talking, you know, and and my sister, after about seven minutes said, look at him over there. And he was over in the corner, just kind of like, just watching it. And he watched the whole thing, you know, Wow. I thought to get a 15 year old kid, but it, it is a compelling oh, uh, video and it's beautiful to watch and it's interesting and someone that likes sports and, you know. Well, tell him your story, Mike. In Boston. Which one? Oh, man. So I went up to Boston for uh, an ordination of a friend, a seminarian who I did army training with this past summer. Yeah. Yeah. And while I was in Boston, he invited me out to the high school where he has pastoral work and things like that. And they had like eighth graders and 10th graders in a big auditorium, probably about 80 kids. 
and they showed this whole video. Oh, good. On the whatever the jumbotron, yeah. the projector thing. And then I came down, emerged from the auditorium. No kidding. And you'd have thought they met like <laughs> a legitimate movie star. Or and I'm just Wait, laughing. Wait, that's the guy from the movie. Yeah. And like half the embarrassed. The screen. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And all the basketball players are funny. there. And they're like, oh, man. And super engaging for yeah. like a full 30 minutes to an hour. Interested questions. So Again, tell me, the, this group was what again? It was a group of... Um, High school kids? It was a group of high school kids, high yeah. High school kids. Eighth and tenth graders, yeah. I think, was the two. That's a great story, you know? It, I mean, it, it drew them right in. It, the whole idea of the bridge, that was yeah. a great bridge for them to really yeah. look at the priesthood and Catholicism in general. Because um, I think it is not just for priests. It's it's a fervorino for the whole faith. Did they think you had that Air Jordan capacity to rise like four <laughs> feet above the rim of the... Is in dress a, shoes. Yeah. Dress pants. In dress shoes. <laughs> is it a sin that I didn't tell them I jumped off of a bleacher? Is that you know, okay? I'm still trying to understand how they film that. I don't get it because what was the the bleachers are off on the side of the gym, right? What hoop were you going for? It was the it I was, was going. It was on a ten foot hoop. The, the main. It hoop was the main hoop. The main hoop. They had us all do it. So they they set up a bleacher so that the top row was in line with the hoop. Yeah. Okay. And then we just ran like three steps off the top bleacher, and then they had a kind of set of mats underneath the hoop. Yeah. And so if you if you watch it in in full motion it would look ridiculous especially yeah. the wide angle yeah. if you saw the bleacher but in slow-mo i mean they had their special slow-mo camera yeah. you should have seen all the equipment they had yeah oh, they're, well i'm sure you you have of course they're good and we work with the different groups and i must say um uh, spirit juice has the best equipment mm-hmm. and the most interesting stuff and um yeah they took impressive. me during holy week to get b-roll they went downtown those shots by the lake that was that yeah. day and uh it was all like just walk down the street and he's got this huge apparatus on his torso for the <laughs> steady cam and he's walking backwards he has a spotter it's a very elaborate thing and it's just like three seconds of me walking in the city for all that work oh yeah and yeah. you know what i got uh, a lot of sympathy for guys like you who are doing a lot of filming but actors in general like, yeah like high level a it's incredibly actors, difficult how yeah. much work that would take yes no that's really true and just you know in the work that I do with the filming, it's much less than a, like a Hollywood movie, but still like doing something over and over and over again and getting lighting just right. And and yes, for a little tiny bit, you got to do an awful lot of work and preparation. So, yeah. When you're in these really exclusive locales, like let's say you had the Pantheon yeah. in one of your shots and it's empty. Right. Is that, or any of the other shots, like we got to do this in one take get it done yeah so well like that one we had to get there about six in the morning okay and you know before the crowds came and they opened it up for us you pay a lot of money to be mm. frank <laughs> to get these privileges then they open up and they might say you guys have 45 minutes or you got an hour before we okay. have to kick you out so then we just get going that particular one we don't do it that way anymore uh that was kind of earlier in the process that was one take when i started there and and the cameraman sat right in the middle of the Pantheon. He said, just walk around me. And he give the speech, walk around, and I'll get the whole thing. No, I think we did We did it twice just mm-hmm. for safety, but I just gave that like six-minute speech. Wow. Uh, we don't do it that way anymore. That's a little too... Is it risky or... Yeah, and it's just kind of dicey, and it's not as compelling. Now we have the scripts. They're more carefully crafted, and we take like little bits of the script, so maybe like a paragraph. Mm-hmm. And then you also break it up visually. Now, that was a, an example, though, where it's so interesting right. visually that you could pull that off. Mm-hmm. Most places aren't that compelling visually where you could say for six minutes yeah. giving a speech, you know. How about your last trip? Was there, were there any, like, 
visually compelling. It was a lot of like Newman's room. No, it was great. Yeah, yeah. Newman's rooms were the most moving to me. Yeah, uh, in Birmingham, and they let us in to the his rooms, and they've not changed it since he died. It's been the same way since 1890. You see all his books, his breviary, his rosaries, his altar, uh, the relics. Uh, his chair, mm-hmm. which is a very worn, very lived-in chair. Um, it was very moving to be in there. They let me sit in his chair, which they don't usually do. I got to hold his uh, walking stick. Wow. Um, they show us his wig. I have I told this story about the <laughs> wig? Told, yeah. When <laughs> he was again. a young guy, and his remember he got scarlet fever, and his hair fell off. And so during that brief period, he wore a wig, and it's there. And next to it is a card in his hand where he describes what a good wig it was because <laughs> the color and texture was so right that when my mother saw me, she never guessed I had any problem. So you have got Newman's hand. This is exactly what my hair looked like when I was 30-something years old. So why do you think he... I was. You told that story earlier, and it's curious that he wrote that yeah. about a wig. Well, here's my any, question yeah. about Newman. Because it seems like here was a man, from the time he was like a teenager almost, knew that people were going to be writing his biography and wanted yeah. people to get it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he just put down everything and yeah. wrote prolifically, of course. Yeah. But the apologia is just like, hey, look. I mean, I understand that arose from this controversy with yeah with Charles Kingsley. Kingsley, right? But it's just like a guy, and it's not. It doesn't smack of narcissism or egotism. It's it's just I want people to remember me right. But he knew it was almost like he intuited that he was a great mind and that people would be remembering him. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Although I remember. Uh, one of the questions that Matt Leonard, the director, asked me for the aside, we're in Newman's room, and he said, do you think Newman would be surprised to see the two of us standing in his in his room 150 years later, um, you know, doing this program? And I said, well, yeah, I, I think he would be surprised at that, you know? Mm-hmm. He always downplayed his own um, importance. He'd say, mm-hmm. I, I'm not even a theologian. You know, he goes, oh, you're a great theologian. I'm not even a theologian. I'm a... He saw himself as sort of a culture commentator a um a controversialist you right. know now he was indeed a great theologian i would say but but his own self-perception was different uh but maybe also it was the fact that because he was a controversialist and he was getting in arguments with high-profile people like wasn't there that one was it an, an italian who came in and was attacking his character yeah and in fact that the italian Won was the a, case. Was he a former priest or yeah, something? Yeah, right. And, but it turned out that he had this lecherous lifestyle. and Right, right. But Newman he Newman lost that case, you know. Oh, he did. He did. But, I mean, Newman was in the right, but it was like mm-hmm. a legality thing. But, yeah, he was involved in, in high-profile But wouldn't they, I, I wonder if that would account for the fact that, here, I want people to know my the inner workings of my life as an yeah. auditorian and my wig style that I enjoy and things like that. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? I mean, I want people to know my wig style. Uh, now, are you I saving your old glasses and stuff like that and putting and putting them aside? Like, I shed these and I have, I have a couple of pairs of old glasses, yeah, that I, I find very amusing. Like, back when I was in my 20s, you, know, uh-huh. you put them on now, these big 1980s glasses, uh, which are now making a comeback, of course. Um, well, speaking no, of which... I don't do that, though. We... Uh, <laughs> We watched a because we studied Newman with Father de Gaulle last semester for oh, yeah. um, modern. What, what era would that have been? Yeah, it was modern, modern, modern yeah, post yeah, Reformation. So on until the 19th century, and he, he had one video about John Henry Newman, and it was like a 1980s VHS. He had to track down uh, a VHS tape player. We watched it in the Theo Rec Hall, and I mean, 
the styles speaking of hilarious old glasses the style the mullets and yeah. i mean these are people that are distinguished scholars some of the hairstyles and facial hair <laughs> decisions that they were making just now it makes you it always makes me wonder what decisions are we making now as to what oh, clothes yeah, we're right. wearing yeah uh, that are just gonna look ridiculous in, yeah i mean 20 years 30 years yeah it's a pull to the priesthood right it's the same thing. You it's know? what? It's a pull to the priesthood. It never goes out of style. The black yeah, no, and white. no fashion decision. Black and white always works. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, I think about that too. It's weird, isn't it? Things that we think are perfectly normal, and then in 20 years we'll say, what in the world were those people <laughs> thinking when they did that? Oh, yes. Why is there something rather than nothing? So here's what I've been thinking about recently. Um, just in terms of, I mean, my, a lot of my time is taken up with STL work and doing my How's thesis. the paper coming, by the way? Doing <laughs> <laughs> uh, Doing the STL work, classwork, thesis. I'm here five days a week, but I'm in, when I'm in the parish on the weekend, I pretty much put my whole self into it. Every once in a while, if I have some free time, I'll do reading and things like that. But, um, you know, if there's people to be visited or meetings to be had with somebody who really wants to talk, I'll, I'll just cram it all in the weekend time. And I really get a lot of life out of it, you know, especially going to see people, either in the hospital or homebound people. And the amount of appreciation you get from that. And I can't, I can't do a lot of it, and there's people that I can't visit. But those who I do, um, both they appreciate it so much, and I'm given so much life by it because I feel like I'm doing my priestly duty in bringing the church, bringing Christ to these people. And it, it's just occurred to me that uh, how big a part of the new evangelization doing the little things right is. And it, and I thought of an old story. My brother told me it was secondhand, but he read about in New York, I guess, they had this big crime problem. And I mean, murder rates were skyrocketing. And maybe this is the late 80s, early 90s. And some police commissioner said, okay, no one's jumping any more turnstiles in the subway. And he said, we're just going to concentrate on stopping people from stealing subway fares and they cracked down and people stopped doing it and it was like hemming in the edges mm-hmm. to the point where new york's crime rate plummeted and but it started with doing the little things right and it's kind of reminds me of basketball speaking of the heroic priesthood video yeah. fundamentals if you don't have the fundamentals it's really hard to get the grand picture to come out the way you want it to look and it's always dicey when you say well what do you how do you want people to, what do you want the final product of the church to look like? It changes. And I'm, I don't feel like it's my job to to make people live a certain way or some way that I, but to allow the gospel to flourish in people's lives, to do surprising, beautiful things. We as priests or people that are involved in ministry, doing these little things right, I, I don't know, it just seemed to me like a important thing to focus on. I think that's right. And it's, you know, we have the relic of Therese over there. It's the little way, you know, mm-hmm. which is... What's right in front of you right now? What's the demand of love? What's the call of love? That's what you do with all your heart and soul. Mm-hmm. So it's a little thing. It might be on the edge of things, but it's um, it's the heart of the matter. Right. That's the paradox. You know, it, That is the heart of the matter. There's nothing more important than that mm-hmm. right now. So the four of us sitting here right now talking about spiritual life, You know, mm-hmm. that's what matters. And give yourself to that utterly. That's the heart of it. Yeah, God living that's what in the she present. I'm giving yeah. it all that I can right now, Father. So I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're aware that this is a relic of Saint Therese. <clears throat> yeah, that's why I was. Oh, that's why you pointed. Yeah. To it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And 
it's also interesting and almost paradoxical is that the smallest things that you have to do are somehow the most difficult as well. You're like, you know, anyone can dream really big. As a matter of fact, it's really fun and it's easy to do the really big things, but the small things seem to be the most weightiest mm-hmm. and, and really the most difficult. But you're right, it reaps the most, you know, the most rewards. Loving. It's, it's all that's that's real. I mean, that's what's real is what's in front of you right now. And so give yourself utterly to that with love, with great love. And then you're doing something, by definition, great spiritually. But it's trying to get over the distortions caused by the world, the fallen mind that sees things the wrong way. So I'm only doing great things when I am accomplishing you know, a great task in the eyes of the world. But that doesn't really matter. That's what the saints teach you is how to see, how to see your own life, how to read your own life. But that's really difficult, I find. It's very tempting to fall back into the old way of seeing mm-hmm. and gauging my life as a success or failure based on that. And it's very tempting. I mean, I get it. We're, we're all tempted by it all the time. But uh, right now, right here, the demand of love, that's what you do. And that's a successful life. And it seems like the culture makes it even more difficult just because of the, almost the progressive mentality that you have to have of what am I doing next, especially in, in the States where you're always are looking ahead. That's the nature of business. You know, what's coming up next, having a good schedule, having a good planner, yeah. which it doesn't, you know, it doesn't allow for the opportunity to really sit and contemplate and really to look interiorly and see what are the most important things in life. Cause you're always looking ahead. Right. And that's, I think Aquinas comes into play there because, uh, the two modalities of the will, the will seeks the good that's absent and then it rests in the good that's present. And I've always said that we're pretty hmm. good at the first one. We're good at, there's, there's a good out there somewhere. It's, I don't have it. I'm going to seek it. Let me go get it. Okay. Now you got it. Now what do you do? <laughs> well, out of my next good, you know, we don't know how to savor. Uh, Interesting. So here's this, cup of coffee not the best cup of coffee i've ever how had. dare you father <laughs> not bad that's you know, incredibly it's pretty good not the best. you can get out no, i'm just kidding stay no, no so milk right? here we are you know milk but i mean right here <laughs> right here right now uh enjoying this cup of coffee you know and to savor savor it mm-hmm. savor this opportunity just to sit around and talk about you know deep and important things uh and not the monkey mind that's always running with my right. next thing jump into the next uh, good Rest in it. That's why I always say, you know, the uh, requiescat in pace, you know, may he rest in peace. We think of like someone in a hammock. Right. <laughs> it's like resting. For all. Well, how many, how dull that would be after about 35 minutes. It, it means savor. Uh, may this person now savor the good that he's been given. Find peace now. Rest in what he's found. And that's, that's the whole contemplative life. And like a holy hour. Uh, we're so jumpy about that because we're... That's hard about the whole thing. It's hard, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that you're thinking what's about what's the next... Yeah. And the demands of the flesh and, and the ego never cease to right. make demands on you. And it's, right. But that resting... And it's the paradox is if it's hard, then you're not doing it right. You're not savoring. You know, it's supposed to be a rest. Mm-hmm. But how do you make yourself rest? And it's not through greater effort. Right. It's In this life, we're not going to get it right. But right. you practice it, and you it, kind of you move into that space. Uh, that's why all these, you know, like Ignatius' thing about when you pray the Our Father is, is take each word, hmm. our, and then rest. Father. Yeah. Rest. Who. You know, it seems ludicrous in one way, but he's trying to do that, trying to slow you mm-hmm. down and make you stop and, and savor. 
It's, it makes me think last semester, uh, Father Welter in our formation was talking about the examine prayer. And he, he was laughing, but he, he brought up Father Boyle. And he had asked Father Boyle about um, some tips on doing the examine prayer of Ignatius. And one thing that Welter said that really stuck with him and has been fruitful, and it's been very fruitful in my prayer life, we said at that, that when it c- comes time to give thanks in that prayer, be completely exhaustive in that. Hmm. So don't yeah. speed through it at all. Yeah. And if that's what the examine prayer ends up for you, that's okay. And what's interesting, we're talking about like savoring cups of coffee. It's something I've talked about in spiritual direction in the past couple months is that I thought it would be very big things like thank you for yeah. my life or my college education. <laughs> yeah. But looking back on my days, it was very common to say thank you for that cup of coffee this morning mm-hmm. or thank you for um, having hot water, like very, very yeah. simple things. Mm. But I found it to be incredibly fruitful in my yeah. own spiritual life. I think that's absolutely right. And as you know, we, this Ignatian recovery going on has been so important. As the exam is not just what I did wrong, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. that. It's that savoring of the whole day. And it takes a lot of discipline to do it. But to say, like, just that, you know. You know that, that cottage cheese and fruit I had because Jared Zimmerer told me to have <laughs> cottage but it was pretty good, you know. I was really hungry. It was pretty. It was good. And it still looks disgusting, though. It does, but it's, <laughs> when you, it's not bad. You when know? you had me try cottage cheese, that was one of the grossest things I've ever, I've ever is it, had. Is that literally true? You had never eaten cottage cheese. I had n- never <laughs> eaten cottage cheese until it's well, it was like gross, three though. days ago. You, you I found like a, it. You have to put fruit in it or something. Sweet, I need to put some fruit in it. I'll you try. You know what? That. My mother had us put cottage cheese on our baked potatoes instead of sour cream when I was a kid, and it was probably some health That's thing just back wrong. then. But we, it's all I ever knew, though. We never had sugared cereal in the house, just plain Cheerios. But that, I mean, like any kid, whatever is around, that's yeah. what you are used to, and it's what you like. And the sugary cereal tastes gross because it's too yeah, sweet. It's too much. And right. the milk gets nasty. And I still think that to this day. Yeah. That's why Father Connor is such a stud athlete. Oh, he yeah. ate healthy growing up like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, parents to thank for that. But that's your examine, is <laughs> go back over stuff like that and yeah. say, Lord, thank you for that. Yeah, it's fruitful. Uh, and I mean, parts of the exam, and obviously you're going to have some days where a moment sticks and you're able to yeah. say, man, I was just, I was myself in that moment. Yeah. And you're able to, in a sense, give thanks for that. But it's one aspect of the exam that I have found fruitful because in a sense, it transforms how I see the world. All of a sudden, those next days are, yeah. no, I can take time to be thankful for this very little thing that every day before this in my life, I've passed over. Um, but that's the goodness of God. Like all creation has kind of come to this moment where yeah. he's created coffee because yeah. he thought I would enjoy it. Right. And that's the thing, you know, I, when I talk about the metaphysics of all this, uh, God is in all things by essence, presence, and power, and most intimately so, which means God is here now, here and now speaking us into being. Well, if that's the case, well, then there's, there's something to be savored. There's some gift. There's some grace right now. Hmm. Um, but that's the monkey mind's always what's next what's better than this what, where can I go next you know um, I was thinking in connection with that even the what was the Thomistic category you said the, the will goes after the yeah. good that's absent it seeks the absent good and then it savors the present good that seeking of the absent good um, I mean like we said it's kind of automatic you, you're automatically going to want it because it's out there and it's we're just creatures in, in potentia constantly going to the next thing but celibacy as a discipline um because savoring the good 
that you have instead of seeking a better one is a kind of death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of willing to sit in the, I know this is temporary, but God's given it to me to savor, and I, I refuse to not savor this by trying to get the better thing. Because there's a certain trajectory, spiritually, I think, of like, well, that can just go ad infinitum, and I'll just get the best and best and best. And we know that's not true, that there's no finite good that will ever satisfy our infinite longing. Right. But that celibacy, in a, in a particular way, is this renunciation of, um, I'm not going to, maybe this is a tenuous connection, but uh, like leave my mark in a certain way, and not so much in a not um, having intimacy uh, with a spouse or um, having marriage specifically, but not having children, not having something to call your own, a legacy to leave. And, and there's a certain future in that. Mm-hmm. But celibacy, um, both in the religious life and in, in this, the diocesan priesthood, is a kind of renouncing of, a, you know, my life here. And I saw this in Pope Benedict, and especially in his retirement, that this man just knew that he's part of history. And being Pope did not serve some achievement complex he had. It was just simply what God had for him to do in mm-hmm. the moment. And that goes for us priests. It goes for everyone, that everybody's temporary here on this earth, but you savor God using you as a secondary cause. And that's the, those are the great moments that get savored, I think. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no, quite right, quite right. But that's a whole shift in consciousness to come to that point. Right. And it means shedding a lot of the old mind. And that's, that's the whole thing with metanoia, meaning going beyond the mind you have. There's a, there's a fallen mind, and that's got to be shed in some ways. These old eyes have to give way, and you have new vision. May the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That means that your whole life is going to change. You'll see it differently. Um, like today, I was I was interviewed by this lady from Religious News Service. I was doing a profile on like Word on Fire and all this stuff. And she said, <laughs> I hear it all the time. People say, "Well, you know what's what's next, and what's the next mm-hmm. move you're going to make, and you know, you're rector now. Well, what's what's coming well, when are you next? Be pope." Yeah, <laughs> and, I get uh, asked that often. By the way, Father, I know you get asked that often. It's, it's when will the papacy come? Oh my gosh! I'm like, I'm just resting. How long? Right now. Oh Lord! <laughs> how long? <laughs> just trying to savor the current thing until that comes. Yeah, until, until my real 2021. Joy comes. But I said to her, I said, my plans are to do what the Archbishop of Chicago wants me to do. And she looked at me like I was I was making a joke, and, mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't making a joke. I was making a sort of uh, meant to be a somewhat startling remark. But I said, mm-hmm. that's the truth. I've done in my priesthood what the archbishops of Chicago have wanted me to do. And that's what I, I said, well, what do you have, what's next? And I said, that's what's next, whatever the archbishop of Chicago wants me to do. Mm-hmm. And, but there's a great freedom in that. There's a oh, great yeah. liberation in that, I think. Um, you don't have to make plans in a certain way. You make, I constantly get asked that question myself, and I'm no big deal. Like, but the, if you're golfing, every time I go golfing and I you know, link up with some foursome of of lay people or yeah. non-Catholics and they find out that I'm a priest or years ago when I was a seminary and they're like, Oh, well, what do you want to do once you're a priest? Where do you want to go? What kind of parish do you want? Yeah, and right. to me, I don't know that maybe when I first started, even when I started thinking about the priesthood, it was never like some picture I had in my head of where I wanted to be in 10 years. Yeah. In, right. in a way, answering the call to priesthood was a signing on to this kind of existence where, right. you know what, Lord, my plans have never been all that exciting, but every time I've said yes to you in the moment, Right, that you've asked me to. Right, it's been a a delight and a, a more beautiful experience of right. life than when I tried to get at some good I had imagined. Yeah, yeah, and see, that's what we teach 
the wider church and the wider world by our very form of life, is we're meant to teach that truth to everybody. Because it does apply to everybody. Mm-hmm. Priests are living in the kind of this concentrated way. So it's that prophetic calling where, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel are given these sort of strange, exaggerated things to do that are meant to get the attention of Israel. That's what celibacy and the priestly life is like, I think. It's meant to teach everybody that lesson. Ultimately, is that I'm here to, to serve God. But we're doing it in this sort of heightened way because it's a fallen world and people need, as Flannery O'Connor said, right, in the land of the deaf, you have to shout. Right. So celibacy is like a, is a form of shouting in the land of the deaf. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you see there's another way or don't you see there's another way to live your life. Well, I think all three of the evangelical councils, in a way, yes, are shouting. Yes, all have that, right. It's poverty, we, I mean, what society has valued money more than ours? Right. Uh, celibacy, sexuality is just, yeah. I mean, to live a life without sex is like to live a life without food. Yeah, for or, many people. Or something, right. you know, and then obedience, you know, obedience. Aut- autonomy, my individual right to decide who I am and what right. I'm about. All of those are renunciations that, that just shout and draw in huge, bold lines that that's not the way to happiness. And that's that's the role they've always played in the life mm-hmm. of the church, and they still do. And I think you're right, especially now in our culture, the three need to be shouted. I think more than they had to be in the 19th century or first part of the 20th century, I think now the society really needs to hear that lesson, which is why the priesthood is needed more than ever, yeah. precisely for the sake of the laity, mm-hmm. not over and against the laity, for the sake of the laity, that we live this sort of strange, prophetic form of life. Um but see, if you look at priesthood through the eyes of the world, it will indeed look weird, psychotic, bizarre, unhealthy, unnatural. Um, and indeed it is. <laughs> I mean, but it, that's, it is. It, meaning it runs counter to the expectations of a fallen world because it's from another world. It's from a higher world, um, which will transfigure this world into what it's supposed to be. All that I think is at play, right? It's a it's a post resurrection celibacy wouldn't have made sense before the resurrection, right? And right. Same with evangelical poverty. I mean, if the if the blessing of life is just this life, period, then get the blessings. Yeah. Um, and you, I mean, you see that in the old covenant, even you know, blessed is a man who has lots of children. It's like they're like yeah. arrows in his quiver. Blessed is a man with all these arrows. Yeah. You know? And. And will the dust praise you, O Lord? And so, I mean, even there, praise God now while you have a chance before you exactly. go into the ground and you can't anymore. Yeah, but something shifted with the resurrection. Mm-hmm. That's why, actually, I was recording homilies today for, is it next week or the week after? And it was um, it was that startling thing in 1 Corinthians when Paul says, you know, time's running out. The, the world as we know it's ending. The sun's and coming up. If, if, if you got a wife, act as though you don't. And if you, and I said, you know, the, the, the kind of liberal... Uh, construal of Christianity, which has been around for now 300 years. Um, Christianity is about, you know, a new moral system and kind of a deist God and, and the ideas, uh, you know, social justice. And it's this kind of flattened out, very rationalized approach. But I said, it's just repugnant to the New Testament. You can't read a text like that from Paul and say, what this man wanted to communicate was, I got a new moral bromide for you. You know, I got a new moral. It's like, here's this guy breathlessly telling you the world is ending. Mm-hmm. The world as we know it's ending. That's Christianity. Right. See, that's where, as you say, things like celibacy and the, the priestly life only make sense against that horizon. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you get it? The, the old world is ending because Jesus is risen from the dead. And so something's, some scroll is being rolled back and a new one's being opened up. And we're living on the, on the cusp of that. You yeah. know? Until you get that, we won't make a lot of sense. 
Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Down.